You don't know what real love is about until you know the Lord. Just uh, that's all there is to it. And uh, I'm thankful that I know Him, and I'm even more thankful that He knows me. Amen? I'm not going to stand before Him on that day and Him say to me, I never knew you. Because He knows me, and I know Him. I am His, and He is mine. Amen? Romans chapter 8 tonight. Romans chapter 8. Do appreciate each one who's come. Several of you, many of you have been here every night. And I appreciate that. Every service, I should say. I appreciate that. Some were not able to attend every service. You're in your own churches on Sunday. And that's where you should have been. Amen. But I appreciate you taking the time to be here tonight. Many have driven from uh, uh, far away uh, just to be in the service tonight. And uh, I believe God will richly bless you for it. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read down through verse number 13. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh." that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight as we look into your word. Father, I pray that it would look into us as well. And the Lord, search us as we sang tonight. What a song. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, that's the prayer of our hearts tonight, that you would search us, and Lord, that uh, you would help us, that you would speak to us. Lord, uh, we come before you tonight as needy people, everyone under this tent, everyone that's listening, everyone in the building, we all need to hear from you tonight. And God, I pray that you would take this time that's been set aside for the preaching of your word, Lord, we know that you've magnified and manifested your Son through the preaching of your word in these last days. And God, I pray that you would take me, unworthy though I may be, take this vessel, and Lord, uh, cleanse it and fill it and use it for your glory and for your honor. Lord, speak to the lost that may be in the building or in, under the tent tonight, that may be watching online. Lord, speak to their hearts, help them to see that there is life and there is liberty through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Father, I pray that you would speak to the saved tonight. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and assure their hearts tonight. And Lord, help us to gain uh, knowledge and understanding of how we can walk and to please you in these days. And Father, help us to shine as lights for you in these dark days. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in our hearts, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing, you may be seated. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture uh, in all of the Word of God concerning our walk with, with, with Christ, concerning the new life that we have in Christ, and uh, in this passage, it deals with, and we're just going to start at the very beginning and go through these verses, and Lord willing, we'll go through these verses, get the principle, and then look at an Old Testament example to help us apply it. But in these verses, it begins in verse number one with the statement, the blessed statement, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the uh, flesh, but after the Spirit. This is a declaration from God concerning those who are in Christ. And uh, this word condemnation is a very uh, uh, strong word. It's a, it's a strong Bible word. And uh, I want to I just uh, read some of the definitions of this word condemnation or condemn. It is to pronounce to be utterly wrong. It is to determine or judge to be wrong or guilty. It is to witness against. It is to pronounce to be guilty. It is to judge or pronounce to be unfit for use or service. That's what the word condemn means. And I'm so glad before I knew Christ, that word fit me, but now it does not. There is now, there is now, not in the future, not in heaven, not in eternity, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Amen? That, uh, that, uh, uh, that position that we have is mentioned, we are in Christ Jesus. When I got saved by the grace of God, before I was dead in trespasses and sins, 
But when I got saved, He quickened me, He made me alive, and He placed me in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I am as hell-proof as Jesus is. Amen. We say, well, how can you say that? Because I'm not in my righteousness. I'm not in my standing. I'm not in my goodness. As I stand before God, the judge of all the earth, I am seen in Christ. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. Hallelujah. That is right now. Right now. You don't have to wait to get eternal life. God gives to you eternal life and everlasting life and freedom from condemnation the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your uh, personal Lord and Savior. Thank God for that. But the verse does not end with that statement. Don't lose your shout. Amen. We're still in the Bible. The verse does not end with that statement. It goes on to say, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And there has been a lot of confusion over this verse. Because of the truth of the first part of the verse, many can't seem to reconcile the last part of the verse with the first part of the verse. Uh, may, probably many of you uh, tonight under the tent have a Schofield Bible. Anybody got a Schofield Bible? Don't be ashamed. Amen. Brother Peter, I got a Schofield Bible. Just me and you, brother. That's it. Now, I don't have a Schofield up here tonight. I wish I did because I would maybe uh, refer to his note. But as I recall, and you can back me up on this maybe, as I recall, he has a little note on, on Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Is that right? Yes, sir. I, no, I, no, just stand up and read it. Read his note on that. Fine print, probably. Yes, yes, that's what I was talking about. So, uh, uh, C.I. Schofield, great teacher and uh, and and preacher of the of the of the Word of God, and many others couldn't seem to reconcile this. They said, "Well, that last part of the verse doesn't really belong there." The statement should end with Christ Jesus. Listen, God doesn't make a mistake. Amen? And uh, God's word, the period doesn't come to the end of the Spirit. And you say, well, how can this be? Is this a qualifier? Is this uh, we are, we ha we're not under condemnation as long as we walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh? Well, listen, when we are saved by the grace of God, our salvation is uh, uh, we are, we are made, made holy, we are sanctified, we are righteous in the sight of God the moment we are saved. When He sees us, He doesn't see us, He sees the Lord Jesus. That is our position before God. However, that may not be, even though we are righteous and we are holy, we are set apart in the eyes of God, the daily practice of our life may, may or may not line up with that position. Come on. If you've been saved more than 10 minutes, you probably know that. 
Even though we've been made holy in the sight of God, we are sinless because we are in Christ. The, the fact of the matter is, we still struggle with the flesh. We still struggle with the carnal mind. We still struggle with the things of this world. And there are times that we walk after the flesh, and there are times that we walk after the Spirit. Now let me say this, whether you walk after the flesh or after the Spirit has no, no uh, uh, import, has no effect on your standing before God. Whether you're walking after the flesh or walking after the Spirit tonight, if you've trusted Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, there is no condemnation from God upon you. But that doesn't mean there's no condemnation on you. There's no condemnation from God upon you. But that doesn't mean when you do things wrong and you, do, you, you walk after the flesh instead of after the spirit that you don't experience some condemnation. So what are you talking about? Well, look at 1 John chapter 3. Look at 1 John chapter 3. And primarily I'm going to be preaching to the saved tonight. And so I want, I want us to get this truth from God's word because, listen, the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it's sad to say, but many people today are not in their Bibles. They're not reading the Word of God. They're not studying the Word of God. They're not meditating upon the Word of God. They're not memorizing the Word of God. And therefore, they come to things in their life and they, they, begin, to, they begin to doubt their position in Christ because of what they are doing or not doing. And if you don't have a good understanding of God's Word, you can be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You want to know why there's so many different kind of denominations and churches today? Because people don't read their Bible. Amen. Now, if you're a different denomination tonight, I'm not bashing you. Not at all. I know a lot of Baptists don't read their Bible. Matter of fact, most of, most of the Christians I know that don't read their Bible are Baptists. Because I know more Baptists than I know anybody else. Come on. Watch what the scripture says in verse, 1 John chapter 3 and look in verse number 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? This is where I wanted to get, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart, what? Condemn. Condemn us. God is greater 
than our heart. And knoweth all things. You know what happens as, as believers, uh, what can happen as believers, if we start walking after the flesh, instead of walking after the spirit, you know what's going to happen? Our heart is going to begin to condemn us. It's going to become, uh, it's going to start uh, condemning us if we're walking by sight and not by faith. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. If we're walking by sight instead of by faith, our heart can begin to condemn us. What does that mean? Remember, condemn means to pronounce to be utterly wrong, to be guilty, to be unfit for use or service. All of these things begin to happen in our hearts. We start feeling this condemnation because we're not living up to the name that we've been given. Behold, what manner of, of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? The sons of God. And so as the sons of God, we bear His name. And we are to be His ambassadors. We are to be His light in this world. And when we're not walking in the light as He is in the light, and when we're not living up to that holy and righteous calling that God has given us, and we're not living in such a way that people see that we're the sons of God. Our hearts begin to condemn us. Our position is secure in God. But our practice might be telling a different story. Come on. And the heart begins to condemn. And the heart begins to say, you're not enough. And the heart begins to witness against you. Well, did you really mean it when you prayed? Did you really trust God? Did you really repent of your sin? The heart can be, begin to condemn, begin to cause doubt. And listen, I've, I, I'll just tell you a little bit about my story. I got saved August 10th, 1995. I was 17 years old. I got saved. I got saved. But a few years after that, I started just getting slack. Getting slack in my Bible reading, getting slack in my walk with God, getting slack, getting my sins taken care of, keeping short accounts with the Lord, letting things go, getting caught up with this world. And my heart began to condemn me. And I'd say, say things like this, well, there's no way I can be saved. I did this, I said that, I thought that. I allowed this. Come on. And so you know what I thought? Well, I think I'll just, and the, and the Lord was dealing with me about, about dealing with those things. You need to take care of this. You need to confess this. You need to forsake this. You need to begin this. And you know what that, listen, the Christian life is work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. 
It takes commitment. And I didn't want to do all those things. I just wanted all those things to just be, all those problems to just be magically erased so I didn't have to deal with them. And so you know what I tried? I tried getting saved. Come on. Again. Tried to double dip. You know what I found out? Those things were still there. Those battles were still there. Those struggles were still there. And I had to realize that, yes, when I got saved, I, I was made a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's a new man on the inside, but I didn't lose the old man. The old man, I'm still carting around. Amen? And there's going to be a battle between the new man and the old man, between the spirit and the flesh from this day until God calls us home. So I thought I'd take the shortcut and just get saved again. All the problems would work themselves out. They didn't. Come on. I had to realize the difference between my position in Christ, my standing before the Lord, and my present state in my life. The practical truth of where I was living. And it comes down to what Romans chapter 8 talks about, walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Now let's go back to Romans 8, and I want to give a few more principles, and then we'll look at an Old Testament example. In Romans chapter 8, there's so much truth here, and we cannot hit it all. But what you'll find as you read down through these verses that we read, the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 8, you'll find the word after and you'll find the word in over and over again. After, in. Romans 8, 1, There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Amen? That's why I can't go to hell. There's no sins against me anymore. I'm not guilty of any of those sins because the Lord condemned all those sins when he died on the cross. He paid for them all. Look at verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. He's saying Christ condemned sin in the flesh. He died on the cross. He took our penalty that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. He became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. And his righteousness not only punches our ticket to heaven, but it gives us grace and power to live the Christian life, to fulfill the law. Because we're in Christ, because Christ's righteousness is in us, that makes it possible. But how do we access that? Here it is again, the end of verse 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
If you want to tap into that righteousness that God has put within you, if you want to live a righteous, holy life, you have to say, flesh, I'm not following you. Spirit, I'm following you. That word after, what a word that is. It can mean following, but it also can mean in pursuit of. I'm after that one. My son right now, he's got a girl he's writing. If he seems kind of absent-minded, it's because he is. (laughs) He's only partially here. He's got a girl he's after. He's in pursuit of her. Amen. And that's the way it's supposed to be, by the way. Just throw that out there. Amen. But he's in pursuit of her. Why? He wants to be near her. He wants to be close to her. And uh, that's the way we ought to be with God. Amen? We ought to be in pursuit of him. Not in pursuit of the flesh, but in pursuit of the spirit. And you notice the spirit is capitalized. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now watch what it says. The results of following the flesh and the results of following the spirit. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Know what he's saying? Their heart is after the flesh, and so their mind follows in pursuit. You know, that's very true. Amen. Well, I've just set my mind to do right. You better set more than your mind. You better set your heart to do right. You better set your affection on things above. You set your heart on it, your mind will follow. Amen, Ben? (laughs) They that are after the flesh do uh, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now watch this. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. In verse 2, he talks about the law of sin and death. You know what the law of sin and death is? Look at, look at Romans 6.23 right across the page. For the wages of sin is death. The law of sin and death is if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to sin, you're going to reap death. They say, does that mean if I, if I sin after I get saved, then I'm going to go to hell, lose my salvation? No. But there will be death in your life, in your spiritual walk with God. How many people we've seen, they've gone after the things of the flesh, and little by little, their spiritual desire, their spiritual appetite, their spiritual walk with God just dies a little at a time until there's hardly any pulse there at all. Why? Because they've been after the flesh. They've been carnally minded. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
I want us to look, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And let's look at, uh, there's a lot more in Romans 8, but we could spend all night there and not get it all told. I want us to see this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel 18, and right around these, uh, these chapters here, we're introduced to two very important characters, three really important characters in Israel's history. And especially during this time in Israel's history. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now this is following David's victory over Goliath. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. David is a little shepherd boy. That's all he is. He's just a little shepherd boy that God's got his hand on. And God uses him to deliver the nation of Israel and to defeat Goliath. And here's Saul and David and Jonathan meet for the first time. And the Bible says Jonathan's soul was knit with the soul of David. Now if you study uh, the life of David and the life of Saul, you will find a tremendous example and picture of, of the life of the spirit, which David represents, and the life of the flesh, which Saul represents. And in the middle, we find Jonathan. We've got David, a type of the spirit. We've got Saul, a type of the flesh. And we've got Jonathan as a type of the believer. He's a type of you and I. He's been introduced to David. David has championed the cause of the nation. David has saved him. Amen. And so now his heart is knit with David. And he loved him. I want, to, I want us to remember this. Jonathan loved David. The Bible says as his own soul. It's pretty strong. And then the Bible goes on to say that Saul took him that day, verse 2, would let him go home, uh, no more home, to his father's house. Look at verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made what? A covenant. Why? Because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant. They entered into a relationship. Amen? They entered into a binding agreement. We could say very, very clearly, I believe, that this is a type of salvation. They entered into a covenant, and you're going to see this covenant. It's going to be established here. It's going to be added to later on. It's going to grow. It's going to get stronger, but it's going to get tested. Come on. It's going to get tested. Now look with me, if you will. Turn over a page. Uh, go to the end of chapter 18. We're just going to go through some of these scriptures looking at David and Jonathan and Saul and watch what happens. Well, well, backing up a little bit, we find in verse number 6 when they, when they come back from the battle, 
So David and Jonathan enter into this covenant before they even return from the battle. When they return from the battle, the women of the city are singing and dancing. All the cities, the Bible says, women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. Verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. From that day forward. The very day that Jonathan makes a covenant with David, Saul makes war with David. On the very first day, Man, I just got saved. Praise God. Everything's going to change. Yeah, things are going to change. You know that man you used to get along with so well? There's going to be a strain on that relationship now. From that day forward, there was battle, and, 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 and Saul was envious. He was jealous of David. And I think it's important that he uses the word jealous. He was jealous of David. Why? Because Jonathan had belonged to him before. People say, what's the difference between jealousy and envy? Envy is when you want something that doesn't belong to you. Jealousy is when you want something that does belong to you. Right? God is jealous, the Bible says. So Saul is jealous over Jonathan because Jonathan used to belong to him. Now here comes David. And isn't that just what happened when you got saved? All of a sudden, that old man that didn't seem too bad before, now he's just like he's just changed overnight, and all of a sudden he's just at war with the Spirit. Twenty-nine, Verse 29 says that Saul became David's enemy continually. Continually. It started that day and it never stopped. Say, preacher, I just, man, if I was saved, how come I've got all this trouble, I've got all this strife, and I've got all this turmoil? It's because now there's a battle. Before you just did the things of the flesh, you were just carried along with the course of the world, and there was no, there was no uh, opposition there was no tug against the course of the world. When you got saved and you got the Spirit of God, all of a sudden something inside of you said, you know, I really shouldn't drink that. Come on, I really shouldn't smoke that. I really shouldn't look at that. And the old flesh says, yeah, we've been doing this all this time. What, what, what right does he have? You're mine, you belong to me. We're going to do what I want to do. And the Spirit says you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. They're contrary one to another. They're at enmity one against another. And they're that way continually. You know what I found? I found that I better be on guard. I better beware. If we've had a good meeting, if we've had a good Sunday, I better be on guard on Monday. Because you know what's going to happen? The flesh is going to say, yeah, the Spirit had a day. Now it's my turn. And it's just continual, continual. Jonathan's in the middle. What does Jonathan do? Look at verse uh, chapter 19. Look at verse 1. Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. 
What has David done wrong? He saved the nation. He saved Saul. He saved Jonathan. You realize that this is just something I just realized just now. These old bodies of flesh, the flesh that we're fighting with that doesn't want to do what God wants us to do, the Lord saved that too. He's going to. He's going to save that too. Even the flesh has the Lord to thank. <laughs> but he doesn't see it that way. No, he just sees it. Well, David's ruining everything. I had things going just fine. Fine. Now here comes David. Jonathan, kill him. Kill him, Jonathan. What does Jonathan do? Verse 2, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself. He takes care of him. He protects him. And we know the story. We don't have time to go through the whole story, but many times Jonathan protects David from Saul's evil intentions. Look in chapter 20 and look at verse 16. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Samuel 20, verse 16. The Bible says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. The first time he made a covenant with David. Now he's expanding the covenant to include the house of David. He's not only saying, I, I want to be joined to you, David. I want to be joined to your family. I think that's a pretty good picture of church membership. Amen? And here's Jonathan. He says, listen, this wasn't just a fly-by-night decision I made. When I chose you, David, I'm choosing your whole family. He, he, he establishes the covenant. He enhances the covenant. He expands the covenant. Why? Verse 17, Jonathan caused David to swear again. Why? Because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. And I want us to get this. Don't forget this. Jonathan is doing this because he loves David. Now watch what happens at the end of chapter 20. This is at the, at the end of this encounter that started up in verse, uh, verse 16. Jonathan said to David, verse 42, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So there comes a time, David, who had been living at the palace because Saul took him and brought him to the palace, now David is forced to flee from the palace and Jonathan goes back to the city. You say, well, what's the big deal? You're going to see what a big deal that is. Does Jonathan still love David? Absolutely he loves David. But he doesn't go with David. Now look at chapter 22. Look at verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, 
they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So here's David. He's hiding from Saul. He's fleeing for his life. And men start coming to him. People start coming to him in his cave. And praise God when you're in a cave and people come to you. We need that. I find especially up here in the Northeast, we're well familiar with caves. We like getting our own little cave. Do our hermit thing. Amen? Just let me in my cave and leave me alone. Especially when the snow starts flying. But David's got people coming to him. Who are these people? All the ones who are in distress. All the ones who are in debt. And all the ones who are discontented. Well, what a motley crew. You know who doesn't come to David? Jonathan. You know who's not in that cave? Jonathan's not in that cave. Why is that? Well, Jonathan's not in debt. Jonathan's not distressed. He's not discontented. Jonathan's living in the palace. Come on. Jonathan's the son of a king. Why would he leave the palace? Now watch. I believe with all my heart there's still this struggle going on in Jonathan. And I believe you can see that struggle because he goes to David again. He visits David again in chapter 23. Look at it. 23 verse 16. I'm trying to quit here. But I'll quit when, when the Lord is done. Look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. Thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made what? A covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood. And Jonathan went to his house. This is the last meeting of David and Jonathan. We've read it right here. This close friendship, this friendship that was built on love. We love him because he first loved us. Right? But Jonathan just could not tear himself away from that palace. He just could not tear himself away from the comforts of home. He just could not break his allegiance to the flesh, to the old man. And so what happens, what happens is a few chapters later, they go to battle. And this battle between 
chapter 23 in this battle that's found at the end of the book, what we find is David going to the Philistines. Kind of a sad commentary that David would have more of a welcome in the land of the Philistines than in the land of Israel. He goes to the Philistines. The king there gives him a land, a parcel of land. And then there comes a day when the Philistines and the Israelites are coming together to make war. Saul, because he's of the flesh, he can't get in touch with God. He's worried. And he's praying, but God's not answering. And so he calls up, he has a witch call up the spirit of Samuel. David, on the other hand, is preparing to go to battle with the Philistines against the Israelites. And I really don't know what would have happened had the Philistine Lord said, wait a minute, remember that song? It was the number one hit in Israel. Saul has slain his thousands. Remember that guy who slayed ten thousands? His name was David. Who do you think those ten thousands were? They were Philistines. He's not coming with us. So David stays behind. And if you look during the battle, God meets out his judgment upon Saul. Look in chapter 31, 1 Samuel 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul. Would to God Saul had followed hard after God. If he'd followed hard after God, he wouldn't be followed hard after by the Philistines. But not only upon Saul but upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan. God's judgment was falling upon Saul, but because Jonathan was with Saul, Jonathan died too. God wasn't bringing judgment upon Jonathan. There was nothing in Jonathan's life that God was going to have to judge him for. But because he was with Saul, he died with him. Look at 2 Samuel 1, verse 17. David is lamenting. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. He's crying. And he goes down through here and he's talking about how this was really how it was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Look what it says in verse 23. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their days. I think it's good to note, even though Saul hated David, David didn't hate Saul. 
Even in death, he didn't speak down upon Saul. He said, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. Watch this. And in their death, they were not what? They were not divided. Saul, type of the flesh. David, type of the spirit. Jonathan, in the middle. And I don't think for one moment that Jonathan ever stopped loving David. He just didn't love him enough. You say, well, I love the Lord, preacher. I, I love the Lord, and I come to church when I can, and I even read my Bible from time to time. And, you know, I know I, there's things I shouldn't be doing that I am doing, and I know there's things I, I should be doing that I'm not doing, but I love the Lord. I'm not questioning whether you love the Lord, but do you love Him enough? Do you love Him enough? Do you love Him enough to say, flesh, this is where we part. I'm going with David. I'm going with David. I'm going to leave the comforts of the palace for the commitment of the wood. Jonathan was too carnally minded and he paid for it with his life. For to be carnally minded is death. You walk after the flesh, you follow after the flesh, and you're going to see death seep into your heart, into your life, into your fervency for God. And little by little, the songs of Zion won't move you anymore. The preaching of the cross won't stir you anymore. The fact that your neighbors and your family members are going to hell won't stir you anymore. Won't bring a tear to your eye. Why? How do we get to that point? We know the Bible's true. We know there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. We know what Christ did for us on the cross. And when we get to the point, how do we get to the point none of these things move us anymore? We might look over and say, well, we love the Lord, but we're not moving. We've gotten used to the palace. We've gotten used to the comforts. We've gotten used to all the, the creature comforts of life and we cannot be disturbed. We wonder why there's just death in our hearts. No fire of God. We wonder why our young people just leave the church in droves. We wonder why we don't see the altars full because we're walking after the flesh. We're walking after the flesh. We think we've done God a service by showing up to church. When we, re we should realize it's, it's He's serving us here. We serve Him out there.
Hearts are not moved to worship. We're afraid to speak for the Lord. Won't even lift up a hand in praise. Won't even say amen. Ashamed of the Lord and our job. Why is that? Well, it's not because you're not saved. Just we've been walking after the flesh too much. That's brought spiritual death where we once were vital and strong. Because if you walk after the flesh, ye shall die. You know why churches are closing and churches are dying? Because too many are walking after the flesh. We want revival. I want revival. I want to want revival more. Amen. I want a greater desire for the move of God and the touch of God. But make no mistake, it will cost us. Revival comes with a price tag. It's going to cost us our comforts. And I'm afraid too many Christians are not willing to give those up. I know my flesh isn't willing. Come on, just being honest with you, my flesh isn't willing to give it up. That's why I've got to stop following Him. I've got to follow the Spirit. I've got to be after the Spirit so that I don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word tonight. Lord, there was such a beautiful friendship, such a beautiful relationship that you gave to David and Jonathan. It should have ended better. Jonathan said it himself. He said, David, you should be king and I'll be next unto you. And that's exactly what would have happened had he left the palace, had he walked after the Spirit and not after the flesh. We know as believers that one day we will reign with you if we have suffered with you. God, I pray that we'd be willing to take up the cross, whatever the suffering may entail, we know it costs the flesh to follow the Spirit, and it costs the Spirit to follow the flesh. And God, help us to choose the right way. In Jesus' name I pray.